I always feel this great sense of defeat when I'm in a restaurant on my own in another country, and I have so far been able to speak, let's say German, because I was learning German, and I'll be able to be like a table for one, and then sit down and ask for the menu. But then it always reaches a point where they'll ask me a question, and I just won't know what it means, and then. I'll just kind of stare frozen, and they'll look at me, and they'll say English, and I have to say yes. From the language app Babbel, this is Multilinguish. I'm producer David Duchin. We talk a lot about the joys and the rewards of learning a new language, but do any of these experiences sound familiar to you? So I was visiting Paris, and it had been three years since I had studied abroad there. So I remembered enough French to get around, but not quite enough to hold very serious conversations. So I walked into a boulangerie to buy a baguette, and I asked for une tradition, which is the like traditional baguette. And that's when I realized she, the lady at the counter, thought that I might be from France, and so she started speaking to me very, very quickly、um, in. Uh, words that I didn't understand, and so I panicked and said yes to whatever she had said. And she ended up giving me a baguette that was not the one I asked for because, as it turns out, they were out. I went to Vienna for a personal solo vacation, and、um, I had to take Lime scooters everywhere that I traveled because initially, when I tried to hail a cab and ask for directions for my Airbnb, I got a very angry, frustrated response. So I pretty much ditched that idea and traveled everywhere via Lime scooter. Yeah, I took a trip to Paris、uh, a couple summers ago, and、um, I tried to have like these phrases learned just so I could interact, you know, basic communication type stuff with、uh, with different establishments.、Um, but every time I'd try and bring one out, you know, like I could see on their faces they were saying, "Please stop."、Um, <laughs> it was just like I was butchering the language, and so eventually I just had to learn this phrase, "Je ne parle pas français." Because it means I don't know how to speak French, which、uh, to me was the lesser evil than you know just sitting there and looking like an idiot, basically. If there's anything these stories have in common, it's that they highlight how sometimes foreign language experiences don't go as smoothly as planned. Speaking a new language can be a nerve-wracking experience. If you ever try to speak in a foreign language you're learning and you felt flustered, nervous, embarrassed, or confused, or you've struggled to find the right words to say in a conversation because your mind draws a blank. Or you fear the humiliation that comes with mispronouncing a word or making a grammar mistake. You're not alone. As most people who've ever learned a new language can tell you, it's a nearly universal sentiment. On today's episode of Multilinguish, we'll be talking about foreign language anxiety. First, we'll talk about what it is and why it happens, and we'll hear from people who have a lot of firsthand experience making mistakes in a second language. And then we'll offer some tips, tricks, and insights into curbing this anxiety when it crops up. Joining me are members of Babbel's content team, Aylan Asklov and Diana Tour. Before we get started, make sure to rate and review Multilinguish wherever you listen, and don't forget to subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they're released. So I figured you two would have actually particularly great insights into this topic because your native languages aren't English.、Mm-hmm. Diana, yours is Spanish. Elena,、yeah. yours is Swedish. Correct. So you've both had to learn a foreign language and move to a country, namely the U.S., where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And use the language every day. I'm guessing. Yes. So I figured that you'd be great as co-hosts on this episode to talk about what it's like on the other side of the coin, not having English as your native language, but rather learning it as a foreign language and having those experiences,、um, grappling with the challenges of learning a language that's not your own. 
mm-hmm. specifically English. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> so let's just dive into talking about foreign language anxiety, what it is, maybe more the technical terms and definitions that uh, characterize it, and then we'll get more into the feeling about it and the emotion behind it, because foreign language anxiety is something that is very feeling-driven. It's technically known as xenoglossophobia, or linguistic insecurity. That's, those are other names for it. And it's typically measured uh, in the classroom. A lot of studies that have been done about foreign language anxiety revolve around education, how students who maybe are in grade school or university classes respond when they're in environments with other students or teachers, uh, maybe talking in front of the class or hearing what a teacher has to say to them and not being able to come up with a response or express themselves in the way that they want to. But that's not to say that this sort of anxiety is at all tied to the classroom. I'm sure you both have experiences with one-on-one conversations with native speakers, even here in the Babel office. You're not at all in a learning environment, but you still have to have these one-on-one sorts of conversations or conversations talking to big groups of people. So I'd love to hear your experiences with foreign language anxiety as non-native speakers of English coming to the United States using the language on a, on a virtually daily basis. What's it like for you? Do you want to go first? Yeah, I could start. Um, so I thought a bit about this topic, and I, I would like to, I mean, I would say for me, uh, foreign language anxiety is highly contextual, right? Um, so like it's very, it's a social anxiety for me, more than a foreign language anxiety per se. Why, um, why, why, why? Why does it, what is it more like a social anxiety? I think because I, the situations I feel anxious in, in English now, or in German, which I also speak, um, are the situations that I would also sort of feel anxious in, in my native language. Like on this podcast, for instance, you know, this is a more, um, this is a more charged sort of uh, situation than if I'm, you know, by the water cooler talking to a colleague. If I'm giving a speech, that's also a lot more charged socially. Um, and so I think that's more the anxiety for me just today. Just in general. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> exactly. just being myself every day out in the world. When you experience this anxiety, Aelin, what does it feel like for you? What are the sensations that you get in your body? Does it remind you of the regular anxiety you'd feel if you were speaking in Swedish, for example? I think for me, it's it can be um, the same sort of uh, performative uh, speaking anxiety that I can feel in Swedish in certain contexts. Um, I would say the difference is probably that in English and German, I would experience, um, you know, that I feel blocked. So mm. you, I can't think of a word, and then that becomes this whole thing. So instead of, you know, trying to formulate something differently you're sort of just digging in your brain for that exact word and this is sort of a vicious cycle where um you know you just start to feel oh i can't think of this word and i i decided to abandon that technique a long time ago because i realized that that didn't take me anywhere i have a lot of like blanks a lot of the time, and then what I do is I just start from the beginning of the sentence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I try to go to get to the same point, but in a completely different way, and that's how I try to get my point across. But yeah, I know what 
I know what you're talking about. It's so, for me, it's like, it's an everyday thing. Because, you know, for ex all these examples that we heard before are like people who had this experience when they were traveling or one time. That one time, oh, it was so bad. And yes, it's really bad. But when you have to face that every day, mm -hmm. it's... <laughs> it sounds exhausting. <laughs> it's very exhausting. And it's also very emotionally tiring, you know. It is. And at the same time, you're also navigating another culture. Like, you've been here for a longer time. Exactly. I've not been here for that long. So you were also trying to navigate all the other social cues and social norms mm -hmm. at the same time in another language. So Yeah. At some point, I feel like you have to prioritize things. Like, what am I going to focus on? Like, the meaning of what I'm saying, trying to get the meaning across, trying to speak the right way, trying to look confident you know because i don't feel like i can do all the things at the same time no know? and i think those things are also um depending on the context yeah like if i am giving uh, if i'm if i'm on stage uh, giving a speech or a talk about something then i would probably prioritize looking confident because yeah. if that doesn't come through then everything else is going to yeah. fail whereas you know in just normal day-to-day -day communication i would probably focus on just getting my point across mm -hmm. and you know uh, i don't care how it yeah. Um, what it ends up sounding like. I find that, so for me, I feel like people understand me better once they know me better and they kind of get used to my accent. So it's easier if it's like a close friend or something like that. But at the same time, it's kind of funny because as the more, like the more I know the person, the more I relax and speak like a, like a Cuban, like blah, 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 you know, <laughs> like it's my, my English accent uh, gets even more and more Cuban as my friend is like closer to me so mm. I don't know if that happens to you no I mean for sure with with people I know because even even before I moved here I would speak English almost daily yeah. with friends mm -hmm. um and the better I know someone the more relaxed I am of course and that's what I also mean about it's not only the foreign language um parameter it's also just the social yeah. uh, situation in general mm -hmm. I think that's such an interesting point that especially in a place like the U.S., for a native English speaker, you don't have to think about how am I able to convey the meaning that I want to communicate because I don't necessarily have the right words to do it or because maybe someone don't, doesn't understand my accent as well as I'd want them to. So it feels like you almost take on a whole extra burden in having a conversation with a speaker who maybe isn't a native speaker of Spanish Diana or of Swedish Elin. You have to consider a whole other set of factors, which is, how old does this person understand me? How well am I getting my point across? Things like that, that I, I as a native English speaker in the U.S. rarely have to think about. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you the many times that I had that I had an idea in my mind when people were having a conversation and I didn't say anything just because I didn't want to go through the, all the work <laughs> that mm -hmm. takes to explain my point. Because sometimes, you know, I'm a... And for me, especially harder because I went to school in Cuba for literature and linguistics. So my Spanish is like really, really good. You know, <laughs> I have a lot of tools in Spanish to express whatever I want to express. And then in English, it's like one third of that. Mm -hmm. So I feel very frustrated a lot of the time because I cannot really explain my complicated brain in this not so complicated level of English that I have. So... I like that you use the word frustrated. I feel like that is uh, a feeling that's common to people who experience anxiety. 
some on one hand, it can be scary, it can be daunting and challenging because you want to communicate yourself, express yourself, and you can't. But also it seems frustrating and maybe it could make you angry if you think, I want to be able to, to tell someone all of the really beautiful and rich, profound thoughts inside my head, but I don't necessarily have the tools, like you said, in English for you, Diana, or for you, Aelin, to do it. Whereas you know that you are very articulate and very eloquent in your native language, but perhaps you don't have nearly as many words in your vocabulary that can convey the same thought, but and maybe in a more beautiful or poetic way. I mean, I feel like I feel the more frustrated, the most frustrated when people are not patient with me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, just be nice, be kind to anyone. It's not only to people who speak a different language, it's to anyone, you know. Because I might be a super smart person that's just having a hard time trying to explain herself, you know, or mm-hmm. anything. Like, I think that people need to be more open in general to to f- making the other person feel more comfortable, you know. And that would help so much. If you could just, like, relax. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like people also have different expectations, and mm-hmm. expectations play a big role in this as well. Yeah. Um, so for... I uh, speak a bit of Spanish. It's a very sort of... I can get around when I go to Spain. Mm-hmm. I can ask almost anything that I need to know, but I couldn't be like, what do you think about the current political events, right? Yeah. But w- I feel like when I'm in a Spanish-speaking country, then people have such low expectations of me. So there I feel that I'm I'm really doing well and I feel good about myself. But in other situations where people have higher expectations, like probably like here with English or, or um, in Germany with German, that's when I think um, a lot of disappointment in in yourself could arise yeah. potentially. Mm-hmm. Just because you are, I don't know, you, ju- you just don't fulfill other people's expectations and yeah. that's always um, an issue. The worst part is that I feel like sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes that's only in our minds, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like people are actually understanding what you're saying, your point's getting across, everything is good, and we're just like, oh, but I didn't use the right conjugation, oh mm-hmm. no, you know? <laughs> people don't care that much. Yeah. I think that's the hard thing about being at the level of a language that you and I are on. Mm-hmm. Um, because we want to be perfect. be perfect or like we want to, you know, come across as native speakers or mm-hmm. we want to be able to be as eloquent as native speakers. Um, whereas if you're on a lower, lev- a lower level of your mm-hmm. language learning journey, then you just expect other things of yourself yeah. as well. Exactly. Yeah. So I think one common theme that I've heard from you both and from the earlier anecdotes that we heard in the episode to open us up and just from conversations I've had with other people who've experienced the same thing is that this anxiety tends to revolve a lot around the element of speaking a new language and to maybe a little bit of a lesser extent listening, but not so much reading or writing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is a really telling characteristic of foreign language anxiety is that it affects the parts of language that are more spontaneous Mm -hmm. and that happen in real time. We actually did a survey of some of the participants of the Babel Challenge. I think it was the most recent challenge we did last year. And we asked them at the end, what do you think is the most difficult part of learning a new language? And we gave them four options, reading, writing, listening, and speaking. And almost half of the participants marked that speaking was the most challenging part for them, followed by listening at about 30%. 
And then reading and writing didn't really, you know, make as much of an impact at all because speaking is one of the most improvisational parts of learning a new language. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't allow for preparation. It also requires you to be both paying attention to what someone else is saying and reflecting back in real time. It moves really quickly and it can be scary if you lose track of something that someone says, you might be lost for the whole rest of the conversation. Whereas with reading and writing, you have a lot more time to think about what you want to say. Or if you're reading something, you can consult a dictionary on the side, you can pause, you can go back and reread something. Mm -hmm. Do you think that makes sense as to why people are saying generally that speaking and listening are the most difficult parts of learning the language? Well, I have a very funny story about that. So for me, speaking was definitely the hardest part of, of learning a new language because I, w I learned basically from TV and from music, so my listening was great, <laughs> you know? And even my writing was good too because I took my time with the writing and then I could like basically be great at it, you know? But the speaking was very hard. But the funny thing is that my boyfriend is now learning Spanish and his experience is the completely opposite of that. And that's, you might think like, oh yeah, speaking is so hard. For him, speaking is very easy. He's really good at it. He has a great vocabulary, but he doesn't understand anything. You know, so <laughs> when I speak to him, I have to speak in a very low speed. So that makes me feel frustrated. And then it's make, it's, really hard for both of us to practice Spanish together because you know he can understand what I'm saying mm. so and I, I'm sometimes I'm not like patient enough I should be I totally should be that's my bad <laughs> patient enough to speak at the speed that he needs you know that's an interesting yeah. point that foreign language anxiety doesn't affect just the person who's learning the language but it can also almost take a toll on the relationship between two speakers if one is losing patience and getting frustrated with the person who's learning mm -hmm. then it's kind of like the anxiety has taken over the entire conversation on both yeah. sides yeah definitely yeah and that's not something you want in a household <laughs> no not at all that's why i like every time that happens i'm like switch to english immediately and i know it's a bad thing to do but you know and i'm also like it's so funny because i'm also you know trying to speak a different language so I totally get his point, but sometimes it's not as easy to keep speaking in the same language. Because, you know, especially when you're, like, talking about practical things in life, you're like, oh, can you pass me that thing? And then you have to be like, can you please pass me the salt? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't want to speak like that in real life. No, exactly. And by the time you get the salt, you finished your mail and, you know, exactly. what <laughs> One experience I'm curious to hear from both of you about is whether you ever find yourself apologizing for your mistakes. I know in my personal experience, when I'm trying to speak a new language with someone and I make an error or I feel really flustered and I get embarrassed, my first instinct is to say I'm so sorry, whether that's in English or the language that I'm trying to learn. But I don't want someone else that I'm speaking with to lose patience with me or to get frustrated. I'm curious if you ever find yourself falling back into saying I'm sorry. Apologizing, I actually don't do. Me neither. <laughs> I want to apologize for being myself, you know. No. This is who I am. I was born in Cuba. Spanish is my first language. So if I don't know something, what I actually do is to ask the other person, like, hey, what is the thing that looks green and has, like, brown roots? What is that? And the person is like, oh, yeah, that's a tree. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly what I was talking about. Thank you. And then, I keep, and then I keep going with the conversation, you know. Like, if you don't know something, just ask the person. That's very 
humble of you to be willing to be vulnerable and say, I actually don't have the answer to this. Please help me. I feel that that's very clear also. <laughs> A lot of the times, like, uh, I don't know this word. Yeah. So I'd like to move now into playing clips from an interview that I did with a really delightful woman named Anya Gallagher. She's an Irish comedian who grew up in Ireland. Her native language is actually English, but she was explaining to me that in the Irish school system, most students are required to learn Irish. It's a minority language in the country, and there are native speakers, of course, but most people speak English, and they know a handful of Irish terms that they learned in school. They might have some chances to practice, but for the most part, everyone knows English. So she took it upon herself because she really wanted to connect with the part of her Irish heritage that she feels she started to get to know in school, she wanted to learn Irish and really make it her project to become fluent in Irish. And one of the really cool ways that she did this was to actually enter an Irish language comedy competition in 2013. So it was a two-month competition with almost exclusively native Irish speakers and she's coming into it as a native English speaker who knows a little bit of Irish but not a lot and so I thought it was a really really cool kind of experiment for that she described putting herself through to force herself to learn the language but really struggling at first so I'm going to play some clips from the interview and I would love to hear your reflections and what she has to say first let's hear about her experience in the Irish language comedy competition Okay. And remember, this is this is a two-month window of her life that she's really challenging herself to to speak Irish, to tell jokes in Irish, the whole deal. Basically, I entered this competition, somehow I got into it, and my Irish was still at a very, very basic level. So it was terrifying, like absolutely terrifying. And... Um, this whole gate, like it was all native speakers, all of the other people involved in this, all of the crew. And I just realized how, how difficult it is. Like really when you start to try to immerse yourself in a context where you're speaking a second language, the, the first thing I noticed was how I just had no personality at all like that's what I found was kind of the hardest thing and I couldn't I couldn't understand what everyone was talking about all of the time I couldn't really contribute in conversations um and I, I just felt like I really wasn't myself in any way and then it was terrifying at the time to to even try and speak because was so like concerned about whether my Irish would be grammatically correct or not when I tried to speak that that just stopped me from kind of interacting at at all with people. So what did you get from that interview clip? What stood out to you? I think she's so right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel exactly the same way. Like I think it's really difficult to to sort of discover that new part of yourself that is boring, has absolutely nothing to say. It's really uninteresting. I um, think it's it's like being in a jail a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It's like you have that beautiful personality inside of you, but you don't know how to put it out there because you don't have the words. To, that's actually one proof of how important language is, you know, and speaking mm. can be. Like, you can disappear, really, in a group of people if you don't speak the language. Yeah. I like that she said she just lost all sense of her personality. Like, and you put it really beautifully, Ellen, that you discover a part of yourself that is boring, that maybe doesn't have 
a crazy story to tell because you cannot actually find the words to tell your own story. It must be so frustrating and it must just feel like you're constantly hitting a brick wall. You said you feel blocked earlier. Mm -hmm. And I, I imagine that Anya, my interviewee, must have just felt that all the time. Like she's a naturally very funny person. She, she's been doing comedy for so long. It's one of her passions. It makes her so happy. But then to enter a comedy competition where you can't really even tell a joke because so much of your identity revolves around your language and you're now supposed to be telling jokes in a different language that you don't know as well. Yeah. Do you feel like you're less funny in English and German than in Swedish? Um, I, again, I feel like it really depends on who I'm talking to okay. uh, and how relaxed I feel. But yeah, I'm, I'm funnier in Swedish, perhaps. Yeah. I, um, I remember talking to a, a colleague back in, in uh, Berlin about... Uh, I was telling her about my l German language learning journey, basically, and I was like, "Yeah, I I, uh, I remember when I started to be fun in German. That was uh, that was so great, such a great feeling." <laughs> and she was like, "Uh huh." And when did you stop? <laughs> <laughs> That's so. It's just friendly colleague banter. Yes. I, I hope she didn't. <laughs> I I have a question for you and for you too, David, because I don't know if this happens to you two guys. So wait. I need to think about my question because I kind of forgot. <laughs> it was, oh yes. So it happens to me that when I'm speaking with non-English native speakers, but that speak really good English, like for example, me talking to you in English, you know, we don't feel, I don't feel that shame when I'm talking to you because I know you feel the same way, you know. But when I'm talking to a native English speaker, then it's like, oh no, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So I feel less pre less pressure with people so I feel less pressure with people that are non native English speakers. Yeah. Even if their English is amazing. Mm -hmm. But does that happen to you too? Um yeah, I think so too. Um especially in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um of yeah. Of the relationship. Of the relationship but also in the beginning of your like when your language is on a yeah. little lower level mm -hmm. then it's mm -hmm. certainly I think that can be a good thing also to talk to other non-native speakers. Yeah. Because you have the same... Then you can really have that patience. You yeah. can practice together. Um, it doesn't always have to be another native speaker that you talk to. Yeah, exactly. And it's great at the same time because um, you get to learn other accents. Because one other thing that for me is actually really bad is like... So I got really used to speaking fluently in English... Uh, here living here in America but uh, before I lived in Denmark and that's another country where I practice a lot of English because people are great at speaking English in Denmark but that doesn't mean that they don't have an accent they do have an accent and sometimes I will find myself speaking English with a little bit of a Danish <laughs> accent <laughs> that for a Cuban is really funny you know <laughs> yeah did people have a really hard time understanding you in Denmark yeah oh yeah like, again, it's like I feel like in that kind of situations, I have to build the friendship so they get used to my accent and they can eventually understand what I'm saying, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was especially hard also because I was going to film school in Denmark. So I had to be good at convincing people that my projects were good, you know, so they would be my crew and give me money to make the projects and stuff like that. So 
sometimes my language, like my English level wouldn't be good enough for that. And then I would have to like find clips and find stuff and make a mood board and stuff like that to show them what I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Instead of like just pitching them the idea, I would have to use other resources to be able to put my idea out there so they would follow me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play another clip from the same interview that I did with Inya. And this is about her journey through the comedy competition and what she learned about herself and about her Irish skill level um, throughout. And I think there might be some really poignant uh, remarks in here that might stick out to you. So I'll play it. And that fear never went away. Like, I mean, I actually did find a way to cope. I think probably what stands to me is I'm a person who will just keep putting myself in difficult situations and keep, I kind of, there's something about the challenge and the the humiliation of it all that I kind of like. So somehow I, I managed to find a way to use my lack of Irish as a strength within this competition. And I kind of gained a bit more confidence. And then um, at the end of it, it went on for about two months. I I found that my Irish was at a a much better level at the end of that. So she moved from Ireland to Berlin, which is a whole different can of worms that she's now opening because learning German. (laughs) You know about that. (laughs) Yeah. And Aileen, you can speak a lot about this too. I mean, German for for mo- many people to learn is considered a really difficult language. But when you're uh, leaving your home country and you have to adapt to a new culture, like you've already touched on before, both of you, that adds a whole new dimension. So what really stands out to me about this clip is the way that Inya describes everyday tasks that we would otherwise take for granted, but that now become these monumental challenges when you can't convey the simplest of ideas. So let's listen to this one. Getting a haircut over here is a really scary spot because, um, I mean, getting a new haircut with a new hairdresser is scary anyway, even if they speak your language. But having to go in and try to describe how you want your haircut in a different language would be impossible. So just kind of avoiding these situations at the moment, um, letting my hair get really, really long (laughs) or... um, like a lot of people I speak to here travel ho- back home to Ireland to get their hair cut, which is crazy. Um, so it's all those little things we take for granted um, that are so much harder, which is interesting. Um, or just the idea of needing to go to the post office and buying a stamp is is a really scary idea. The kind of fun thing about it is when I do manage to do a really small activity, like I went to the library the other day and joined and spoke in German, and I had such a sense of achievement at the end of that. Um, So that's kind of nice, the whole, you know, things that you wouldn't see as a success if you were just doing in your native language become mammoth achievements in a second language. Do you agree with her? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's also important to note when you are learning a language, you really should allow yourself to celebrate those small things <laughs> that you can actually do. Yeah. Um, but I also, I think also what she said about getting a haircut is what I was uh, trying to say earlier also, that like in situations where you already are a bit anxious or you are afraid, like, will I come out of here, this hairdresser uh, place looking like, you know, like I want to look. Yeah, yeah, exactly, or not. And then the, f- you know, the, the the fact that it's another language, it only adds on to that yeah. um, anxiety. 
Whereas completely friction-free experiences maybe wouldn't cause as much anxiety. Yeah. I cannot think of the idea of going to therapy in English. Oh, gosh. For me, that would be like, no way, you know. So, I don't know. Going to the doctor is also very stressful sometimes. Because I feel like when you feel sick, I had appendicitis and I had to go to the hospital. And Of course, I spoke English anyway because, you know, my life was depending on it. But... Uh, you know, you feel a little scared. Like, what if they're telling you something and you understood the wrong thing and they're giving you surgery for something that you don't know what it is and stuff like that. So it's very scary, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I never thought about foreign language anxiety as a matter of life or death. Exactly. When your life is on the line, what you say and what you hear really matters. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, we have covered a lot of ground so far in the first part of the episode. We've talked about what foreign language anxiety is, what it can look like, your own personal experiences with it. And we've started to touch on a few ways that you can deal with it when it happens, but that's going to be the focus when we get back. So we'll hear a few tips and tricks to mitigate foreign language anxiety. We'll return shortly. Multilinguish is brought to you by Babbel, the language app. Babbel's teaching method has been proven to be effective across multiple studies, and convenient lessons take only 10 to 15 minutes to complete. David, beyond normal language learning methods, what's your favorite way to approach a new language? I listen to a lot of foreign language music. I'm always on the go with my AirPods in, whether I'm on the subway or just jamming out at work, you know, while I'm cooking dinner. And I think the most immersive way for me is to have music playing in the background. I can pay attention to the lyrics and try to pick them apart, figure out what they mean, or kind of just let them float in my mind in the background. But either way, I am definitely engaging with the the foreign language in the music. I love that. We're offering multilingual listeners 50% off a three-month subscription. New customers can get this offer by visiting babbel.com slash podcast. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash podcast. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Multilinguish. Before the break, we heard about foreign language anxiety and what it is and when it happens. And we heard stories from Aelin and Diana about their experiences with it. And we also heard from Anya Gallagher, who's the Irish comedian, who was trying to learn Irish by actually forcing herself to do it in a comedy competition and who now lives in Berlin and is feeling a lot of the same experiences and sensations with learning German as well. So now that we've talked about what it can feel like when you can't necessarily find the words or you feel frustrated or um, not confident about your language skills, what are some things that you can do to prepare for those sort of situations um, that you will inevitably find yourself in if you're learning a new language? A lot of these tips and tricks actually relate to addressing anxiety as it exists, even when you're not speaking a foreign language. So that can include public speaking in your native language, or it could also just be you know, having an anxiety disorder as a person, feeling naturally anxious when you have a conversation, a lot of social anxiety, even in your native language, can hamper you from having a full-fledged conversation in a foreign language. So one step is to address the anxiety that lives within you, even in your native language, whether that's seeing a professional for it, maybe going to therapy, um, or just practicing public speaking, for example, taking a public speaking class and being able to to find the courage to communicate and express yourself, even in a language that you're not um, learning for the first time. But of course, I think our listeners would want uh, more foreign language oriented advice and tips and tricks. 
Um, so that's why I'm going to hand it over to, to you two to offer any strategies or suggestions that you may have, whether it's really generalized and about the feelings or it's very specific things that have worked for you. I'd love to hear them. Um, I think a lot of this depends on what level you are uh, on in your language learning. Uh, I think if you're just starting out, um, it can help a lot to just speak to yourself. Talk to yourself, um, I don't know, when you're cooking, describe what you're doing, or just like, I don't know, it sounds crazy, <laughs> but talking to yourself is actually a, a good thing. Even out loud, because then you hear your own voice and you get acquainted to how you sound in another language. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once you're ready to get out there and put yourself out there, uh, I think it's really important to find people who you trust, who, know, who you know will have patience with you, not me. <laughs> no. Not Diana. Don't not Diana. Diana to practice a foreign language. <laughs> but um, and and you know just to be also, I think it's important to be. Um, uh, yeah, now the words are failing me, so I'm proving my point. <laughs> but <laughs> to be forgiving of yourself. Oh. And, you know, you can't compare yourself to native speakers because yeah. they were literally born with it. Um, oh, well, another yeah. tip that I want to give you guys, you all, <laughs> is that um, don't think that you have to know everything. If there is something you don't know, just ask, you know. It's probably it's gonna help you more to put your idea your idea out there if you get help. You're not alone in this. Most of the time, people want to. Oh, most of the time, people are actually want to know what you're saying. They're interested in the content of your idea and not in the shell of your idea. So, focus mm. on that. Focus on sharing what you want to say and being yourself. And then I'm sure that everything else is going to come little by little. It's a lot of work, but I'm sure you can do it. Yeah. I think it can also help if you're on a lower level mm -hmm. to learn those, um, to, to learn phrases like, um, I'm, I'm practicing, uh, you know, this is hard for me, but can you help me out? Uh, things like that. Or just, even like, yeah. how do I say exactly this? Exactly, how do I say this? Yeah. What's this in XYZ yeah. language? Um, mm -hmm. Make yeah. make the people part of your language learning journey, you know. Uh, have them take part of uh, your experience and ask for help. Mm -hmm. I like what we've said about not expecting too much of yourself, being patient and forgiving. I think those are some of the most important things you can do because language learning is a journey and you're never going to be perfect. And especially at the beginning, recognizing your own strengths and weaknesses being able to say, I might not be at this level yet, but look how far I've come, mm -hmm. gives you a sense of pride and it lets you kind of benchmark your progress and say, I can see where I have, where I started and now where I am. And I know that in the past couple weeks or months, I've improved this much. So that really gives me hope and inspiration to be able to continue doing that in the future. I think comparing yourself to native speakers is one of the, the most destructive and harmful yeah. and unhealthy and toxic things that you can do when you're learning a new language. Because like you said, Aelin, a native speaker has had the ability to speak that language since, I mean- For their whole life. Their mm -hmm. whole life. So there's just no way you can compare. And most people are going to be willing to, to work with you and to help you learn 
because I think it's really admirable when someone wants to speak English and I would do so much to help them if they're willing to show me that they're vulnerable and need the help and are willing to try mm -hmm. and, to, and to be honest about how much they know. A lot of that also revolves around reframing your, your thought patterns. If you mm -hmm. keep thinking, I'm not good enough, I'll never be good enough, I put in all this work for nothing, I have reason to be afraid, or someone's going to laugh at me if I make a mistake, if I don't pronounce this word perfectly. A lot of those are just self-fulfilling prophecies. If you think that, that a conversation is going to go one way, if it's going to fail, it's going to be a real challenge and a struggle. You almost kind of create that reality and manifest it because you start out on a foot without having a lot of confidence or self-esteem. But if you're able to reframe your thoughts and say, I've come so far already, here's a way I triumphed speaking Spanish, for example, if I'm learning Spanish, or I really struggle with German sometimes, but I had a successful interaction with the barista at the coffee shop. Wasn't that amazing? I can see how far I've come. So I think a lot of it is about looking inside yourself and figuring out the root causes of the anxiety that you might feel, which can be related to the thought patterns that you have, which ties back into the need to be perfect, which no one is, of course. We've been mm -hmm. told that all of our lives, that no one's perfect. I feel like also failing can really help you be better in the future. Because usually if you're like looking for a word that you can find and then you somehow get over that in the moment, but then later you do your research and you find that word or you find the right way to say what you were trying to say. You know, it's not like, oh, no, I did terrible and then I didn't do anything about it. That's not the way it works. You fail and then you learn from your mistakes and you find ways to improve that and to make it better. And actually failing means that you know what you have to work on and you know the things that you have to do to get better. So I would use the disadvantage in your advantage. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to actually go do those things too. You have to know what you need to do to get better once you fail because you make the mistake and then you have to be willing to say, Although it will be hard, and although I might make more mistakes in the future, I'm willing to try. I think yeah. the combination of the willingness and the vulnerability to make the mistakes and time is the cocktail for success in the situation. Yeah. So I'd like to now play another clip from my interview with Anya from before. And in this one, she tells me about a pretty specific strategy that she uses to overcome the fear of putting her language, her Irish language, into use. This might be just particular to her. I don't know, so I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. But she does offer some pretty good insight about what it's like to recognize your own vulnerability and then use that to your own advantage. So here she is. I think what I've managed to do or a coping mechanism that I have, you know, I'm a comedian. I've always liked to be in the center of attention. I've always enjoyed being a bit of a clown. But what I find, what I started finding in Irish was my way of coping in situations when I didn't understand what was going on was to make a joke out of the fact that I had no idea what was going on. So somehow I'd still kind of involve myself in a social situ in a social situation, even though I hadn't understood anything uh, that had been said. So I suppose that was one thing. And it was kind of as I became more comfortable with people um, that I could you know kind of do that a bit more have you ever used that same strategy of sort of laughing at yourself or admitting your own weaknesses your own vulnerabilities to kind of get people to trust you more and to be on your side do you think that would be 
an effective way to combat foreign language anxiety? Yeah, I think so. I think in her uh, in her case, it sounds like it really made sense. Um, I don't know if I've done it that much. Per- perhaps when I was at a lower level of German, maybe. Um, but I, I really get what she's going at because you you know you're in a social situation. There are tons of people there. You're playing football or soccer, um, and you have to keep playing. But at, so you don't want to interrupt the whole thing by being like, "Oh, sorry, I don't understand." Could you or you know switching to English or something? So you want to keep going. So I think um, those coping strategies are they make sense. I feel like in my experience is. M- like it's more like an identity conflict because when you are in your country that you were born at, you don't have a conflict with the way you speak because everyone speaks that way, you know. But then when you're in a different country, you're like, "Am I the one that's wrong? Like, what am I doing wrong? Why am I, why am I the one that's different? Like, is it wrong to be different?" And then I think I learned so much from actually non not being a native speaker. Because I'm so much more proud of being Cuban now and, like, of my culture and my identity and who I am, you know. Mm. I just feel very comfortable with my personality and my identity in general. Just because I know um, it's not bad. It's actually very interesting and people really like it when you have an accent and when you are from a different country and they probably have a lot of questions for you and are very interested in your culture. So Mm -hmm. it's a great thing. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way that because you stand out so much, people want to get to know you. And this might just be because you, Diana, happen to be so amazing and fantastic and interesting and you are so colorful and you have so many stories to tell and you're very multidimensional. So you actually have the personality to back it up. But I wonder for people who maybe don't want to be put in that position to be the odd one out or to always be questioning, do I belong here? That might be kind of tough and more difficult. Okay, so going back to the interview, we've talked a lot about how you need to just get out there and practice, practice, practice when it comes to learning a new language. And time is so important to that. Any new skill that you learn will take time and you have to be patient with yourself to be able to truly master any new skill. So Anya has some really poignant things to say about the nature of practicing and how it makes you get better with time. The fear of making mistakes is just something that that I managed to get over with time and um, I think it's just about practicing so the more I engaged with people and spoke in Irish the more I realized oh actually speaking a second language it's not about being 100% grammatically correct it's about being able to get your point across and to be able to express the point that you're trying to say. Yeah, I think this is one of the most important points because we, you know, there's this, uh, you know, the the um, the word fluency is thrown around a lot, um, but what you know, what does it actually mean? And to, you know, to most people, being fluent is actually to be able to um, just get through your daily life, and mm-hmm. you know, in whichever way you, um, in whichever way you end up doing that. And you can't reach fluency without the intermediary steps between. Of exactly. course, like yeah. step-by-step process. Mm-hmm. So I think the last clip that I'll play from this interview is Anya reflecting on her experience first using Irish in this competition where she has very little experience and up to the most recent couple of years where she's using it. 
on a regular basis. It's cool to see that she's able to track her own growth as well. And I remember the first gig I did was at, was the worst gig I've ever done. <laughs> no one I tried to kind of do a direct translation from English into Irish and nobody understood what I was even trying to say and nobody laughed and somehow, anyway, it was awful. Every year I'd be more and more confident to start doing things. You know, I'd MC a comedy gig in Irish. I'd um, agree to do different events with the football team. And my, my every event... I just noticed that things that would have seemed daunting to me didn't, I didn't think twice about them after a certain amount of time. And um, I suppose I've come now to the point where Irish, I speak Irish on a daily basis with people. You know, it's given me opportunities work-wise. I'm a content creator for an Irish TV channel. I'm um, like, you know, and I think... But in terms of success with like putting myself through this whole process, the main thing I've gotten out of it is the ability to realize how resilient I can be, like how I can, you know, these situations are daunting, but you do get through them. And when you come out the other side, you feel so much stronger. Those are really beautiful words, I think. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because you see that for all the work that you put into learning a new language, for all the struggles that it entails, it actually is a major growth point for so many people. You yes. learn a lot about yourself in the process. And when you look back, you see not all the individual moments that you might have failed or made a mistake, but you see the culmination and where it led you to in the current moment. And you can be really proud of yourself for making it this far. Yeah. Knowing a second language or a third is like having a superpower. So if you have to fight a lot for it, <laughs> it's worth it. Well, thank you to both of you so much for joining me for this episode. I couldn't have asked for two better co-hosts. Thanks for having us. David. Thank you. This was actually a lot of fun. Multilinguish is produced by the content team at Babbel. We are Thomas Moore Devlin, David Duchin, Steph Poifman, Dylan Lyons, and I'm Jen Jordan. Ruben Vilesh makes us sound good. Our logo was designed by Ali Zhao. You can read more about today's episode topic and more on Babbel magazine. Just visit B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash magazine. Say hi on social media by finding us at Babel USA, all one word. Finally, please rate and review this podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to wait for the siren too. Yeah, 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 I think it's really bad. It's going to take so much editing. So many fires and crimes and sick yeah. people. <laughs> fires, crimes, and sick people. That's a good band name. <laughs>